Hi, I'm Bryn Thompson. Pip and I are back with sports psychologist Morris Pickens. Today, we're going to talk about Moe's locker room concept. Picture the legendary locker room speeches we see in the movies. This is not that. The locker room process is deliberate and personalized, and it must be thought through before it's needed. And it's needed every day. It becomes more powerful the more it's practiced. The goal? It's a tool to help us handle the adversity that will come during the day. Sure, we like to focus on the goal of winning and succeeding, but that comes because we know adversity and challenge are inevitable, and we have a plan and process for it. I hope you enjoy Dr. Moe's locker room process. All right, so we're here with Pip Coburn and Mo Pickens. And Pip, will you remind us how you met Mo? Uh, yes, I, th- I actually think it's relevant here. So uh, a dear friend of, us, uh, of ours, Mike Valentine, was down at Sea Island playing golf, met Mo, who's a sports psychologist, and just thought the two of us would connect really, really well. So uh, after about nine months, I, I picked up one of his books in the summer, blah, blah, blah. We had a nice conversation before that, but I picked up his book, and about literally 15 pages in, I saw how deeply Mo, Mo thought about routine and process. And I was scribbling notes all over his book and changing what already was a pretty robust morning process and routine of my own to start incorporating his ideas. So we started texting or emailing back and forth. He was at the British Open. This was uh, in July. And uh, I'm watching Jordan Spieth on the 18th hole. And he's lining up his shot from about 90 yards out. And he literally did something that defied one of Moe's principles in the first 16 pages of the book. What did he do? And I was like, oh, he, he, he came back from his ball and he asked his caddy, can you remind me the situation again? Hmm. He was contextualizing his shot as opposed to just hitting the shot. And I'm like, he's doing it wrong, he's doing it wrong. <laughs> and I'm texting Mo, like, Mo, he, he's defying, you know, rule four on page 16. And sure enough, he hit a really bad shot. Mm. And uh, I don't know if it cost him the tournament, but I think it led to, you know, a sudden death or playoff. But like in that moment, I'm going back and forth with this superstar sports psychologist who's in, at the event or whatever. And it was just a great way to start. The... Um, Jump a few years later, we were down at Sea Island in one of the gatherings. He said, um, vision unto itself isn't enough. You need a plan to enact the vision that you want to see. Plans on the zone also aren't enough, aren't sufficient. You need the combination of both. And it just clicked for me again at a next level that there was a way of developing plan for specific things, particularly a plan for upset when upset would arrive into life. I needed, I could, I needed a plan for that. And so, so Mo, you have this plan. concept of the locker room. Can you say a little bit about that and how it relates to the plan? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's very basic. Uh, it starts with, um, if you think of most sporting events, especially team events, and they're in the locker room before the game, uh, to Pip's point, I mean, the vision is they want to win the game. I mean, everybody mm-hmm. wants to win the game, but the, the desired result of winning the game, that's kind of the easy part. I mean, anyone could tell you that. It's what goes into that 
what is the plan that the team's going to follow that increases the likelihood that that's going to occur. So, I mean, there's probably never been a sports team ever in the locker room where the coach wrote on the board, win the game, win the game, win the game. I mean, you know, he's going to write, hey, we got to get back on defense or we got to move the ball or we got to know where number six is or whatever the case is. But they're going to be two or three or four, not a ton, probably four or less um, controllable actions or keys that increase the likelihood, again, of achieving the results. And then during the course of the game, right, as the, as, let's say it's basketball, as the players are running up and down, the coach isn't yelling out, score more or stop them from scoring, he's yelling out, you know, those keys. And mm -hmm. so it's just this idea that you need a locker room to get yourself prepared and you need to know what these things are so that when the adversity comes, you know what you're going to go back to to kind of coach yourself. Because uh, most people, especially in business, they don't have their coach with them all the time and they have to be able to coach themselves when the adversity comes. And I like that distinction because we started out this conversation or you started out the concept talking about winning, but really the locker room is for handling the adversity, which is certain to come. Yeah. I mean, it's really more kind of really diving into a specific plan, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, that plan could be more strategic in terms of how you want to uh, navigate the upcoming event to what you are going to do uh, when the adversity comes because in every sporting event or, you know, pretty much everything in life, it's just a matter of when mm -hmm. the adversity comes, not if. Uh, and so you're foolish to think that it's not going to occur and to have something that you know you're going to go to uh, at that moment in time. So. so open the door on this a little bit for us. What does a, what might a locker room routine look like? And the locker room is, um, is, is theoretical. <laughs> but uh, it, it's theoretical in the sense that um, what you're going to uh, accomplish there is more important than where it is. But a lot of people do have a physical, actual locker room. That might be in your car. It might be um, laying on the chiropractor's table before, you know, you go play around a golf. It might be uh, after you, um, you know, gotten to the stadium and you're literally just Richard Seymour who played for the Patriots used to literally just sit in his truck before he'd go into the game. So he had his own private locker room and then he'd have the kind of the team locker room. Right. Mm -hmm. But the, the private one was more important. But so, um, but that place can change. Yes. And, and the importance of it is just the idea that uh, I know I'm getting ready to be in, in an emotion filled charged environment. Mm -hmm. And I want to, make sure that I'm calm and can focus on uh, what I'm going to do. Uh, and, you know, and it, the things in your locker room can change from event to event. So, you know, literally, if you think about this as it applies to sports or as it applies to life, uh, I might be with one of my players in the locker room at a golf tournament and we're going over their two or three keys and I'm reminding them of that. And then literally later on that day, I fly home and things are hectic and I'm going in and we're supposed to go out to dinner and I need to pull the car over on the side of the road, a hundred yards from my house <laughs> to have my own little locker room just to calm myself down, you know, mm -hmm. before I go in. So mm -hmm. that's really the, the idea is not so much rah, rah, uh, let's go, you know, I'm going to win. It's 
what do I need to focus on that, that gives me the chance to win? So. What would be an example or in the note that we uh, sent out the CIO diary, you mentioned um, what Zach Johnson, one of your, your professional golf clients, what, what two or three things he's thinking about as, as concrete examples when he's in his locker room? What are his right. reminders? As right. So, so when he's in the locker room, he would know for sure that he wants to have a good round and he wants to play well and shoot under par, right? But he's very quick to kind of, yeah, that's okay. Get rid of that, if you will. And he, he needs to focus on tempo is a really big thing for him. He needs to do everything at a slow, smooth pace. So that means eating breakfast, you know, that means walking to the range. That means hitting balls while he's warming up, walking to the first tee. He needs to do everything in a slower manner because if he gets going fast, then his mind gets going fast and he can't focus mm -hmm. the way he wants to. So tempo might be one. He would definitely be telling himself, you know, when I hit a bad shot, this is how I'm going to maintain my composure. So not if I hit a bad shot, but when I hit a bad shot, this mm -hmm. is how I'm going to maintain my composure. Uh, there might be a key in terms of uh, how he wants his communication to go with his caddy. Sometimes he can get to where they're kind of bouncing around and they don't really follow their process of communication before hitting a shot. But like, so he would remind himself. So that might be his three keys for any given day. Great communication that follows our process, really good tempo. Um, and then this is how I'm going to handle adversity when it comes. And that would be it. And he would have those things written down. Uh, he would not only think about them in the locker room, but he would literally have them written down in his yardage book. Because as he's looking mm -hmm. at his yardage book, it's his, his way of coaching himself. He has a list of probably 25 keys that we've used over the years that he consistently goes back to and puts into his book because that's really the only way he can coach himself when he's out there and he wants to do that in a in an objective manner so he writes it in in there beforehand because he knows he's probably going to be emotional you know during the moment so how often do those three or four keys change so the keys might change um you know, every two weeks, every month, they could change course to course because in golf, the, the course changes every week. And there could be something, especially if it's a strategic point, such as one course, you might need to leave it short of the green. That's the best place to miss because that's the way the architect designed it. Another golf course, you know, um, it might be that you need to be more conservative off the tee because there's a lot of out of bounds where you get penalty strokes if you hit it. So it could change week to week. Uh, a lot of them for him, like tempo is pretty much in there every single week. Mm -hmm. That's going to be there because that's just a staple no matter where he's playing, no matter what's going on, whether it's the first round or the Sunday round, uh, that would be a staple. And then, so he would have three or four keys. Now he has 18 holes in a round of golf. So in his yardage book, I want it in there every page. So he might rewrite it a little differently. So on the first page, it might say great tempo all day. And then on the fifth page, it might say tempo, tempo, tempo. And then on the 10th hole, it might say walk smooth into the ball. So there's different ways of rephrasing the same key that keeps him on task because it, it's kind of boring if you read the same thing all day. You ever, do you ever write funny ones in just so that he doesn't take it too seriously and go, oh, yeah. well, I got to remember these things. Oh yeah. Yeah. A good one would be like, I would write the, 
the score of the Ohio State Iowa game from last year with a smiley face or something like that, especially if Iowa lost. That'd get him fired up. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, when I first started doing this a long time ago, I was with a, one of my first clients, Bob Walcott, and I had to leave. I was caddying for him as a, um, you know, he was one of my students, but I had to leave during the middle of the tournament because I had a relative pass away. So I took his yardage book literally in the night, in the room that night, and I just wrote all throughout it. And, and he's a big Georgia fan, and I'm a Clemson fan, and so I wrote in there a lot of Clemson stuff, and then, you know, every other, and then, then it'd be three or four pages of serious notes, and then something funny. So, yeah, you, you definitely got to keep it light at times as well. I, I hope you didn't freak him out to the extent that he got really angry and, like, like blew up his round because he was so pissed about your comments. No, about no. Georgia. He, um, fine line there. There's a fine line there. So, yeah, you need to know your client. One of the things that stood out is uh, that I loved is you mentioning that if he's thinking about tempo, Zach mm -hmm. Johnson, he takes it how he gets out of bed, how he goes, gets his coffee. Like, it's not just something that you turn on like, oh, yeah, I'll do that for like, he says, and I noticed in the writing, you said, as he got older, and he's not like that old, but as he got older, he realized his body and his mind took extra time. So he'd wake up earlier. That's just a lot of self-awareness or determination or not many people think that way. Is this, you know, right. do you know with a client, like right at the first, whether they're going to be a good fit or I, I just found that to be amazing and cool. Uh, I wouldn't say right at the beginning. I think you can get um, probably, especially with a professional client, you know, after two or three times, kind of whether they're buying in or whether they're just, appeasing you to make it seem like they're interested in what you're saying. But um, yeah, I mean, for, for Zach and for anybody, these keys, um, the whole point of a key is if you wait until the first tee to come up with your keys, they're not going to work. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, like I tell people, the best mindset in the world, if you came up with it on the first tee, it's not going to work. Um, and so <clears throat> for him, and we really found this kind of through trial and error, so because it was not long after we had worked together, he actually was at a tournament. He's staying in his, he used to have a big RV bus. He got locked out <laughs> and it was Sunday morning. He had a two shot lead going into the last round and he has to wait on the guy to come unlock the bus. Oh. Long story short, he drives to the golf course fast, warms up fast. Everything's going fast. He makes a seven on the second hole, which is a par three with no water. So, I mean, he couldn't do that again in a hundred tries if he had to. That's pretty good for me, actually. <laughs> so he makes a seven, was never really in it. Uh, and, you know, dissecting it after, it had nothing to do with his golf swing. It, it was, mm -hmm. had everything to do with how he allowed himself to get sped up that morning. And so he now knows that if that ever happens again, wow. it's way more important for him to keep his normal pace in the morning than it is for him to accomplish certain tasks because mm. that um, is just going to have so much more bearing on how he's able to control his body and his mind as the day goes on. So mm. that reminds me of something you've said, Mo, which is the worst error in golf is to swing when you know you aren't ready. Yeah. Well, um, it, everybody knows they're going to make mistakes and you can accept that you're not a robot and physically you're going to make some bad swings, but to hit a shot when you know mentally you're not in the right place, 
That's the kind of thing that keeps you up at night, right? Mm -hmm. Those are the kind of things that really uh, just drag on you. And um, so that's what we're, you know, it's okay to make this. It's like life, you know, some mistakes are okay, but that mistake's a really bad one because you had total control over it because you always have the option of backing off and resetting yourself before you go in. So, in fact, we play a game specifically designed for that where I try to distract students while we're playing. I'm can allowed you to. Can you describe that in depth? I love the games and the way you think about practice. It's not normal. I hit balls and that, like, right. you're very kind of like an evil genius of like <laughs> really messing with people. So that so later, this game's yeah. called distractions and in distractions, uh, we're on the golf course, we're playing. And basically um, I can do anything to my opponent that I want to do, uh, but I can't touch them. I can't touch the ball and I can't obstruct their vision of the ball or the target, right? But I can yell, I can throw things, um, I can um, move my shadow over the ball. I can do anything I want to do to distract them. Now they, on the other hand, have the luxury. They don't have to go. They can back off if I make them laugh or if they get distracted. But at some point you have to learn how to, you know, really focus on what you want to focus on and tune out the distractions. And so, that's what this game does. Um, Michael Thompson, uh, one of my guys, he lives here. He's phenomenal at it. He's so funny when we get out there. Oh my gosh. But um, so, yeah, that's what we Is there an example of something he's done that you would never would have thought someone would do to distract another person? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. He, we were, I was getting ready to hit a shot and um, we're near the 150 pole. And so the 150 pole is this pole in the middle of the fairway that tells you, you know, it kind of uh, standardizes courses and gives you something to aim at. So he, and they're, they're pretty solidly in the ground. They're usually three to four inches in the ground. Well, somehow he's moved this thing back and forth to the point where he's got it out of the ground. It's about four feet long, right? And he's swinging it two inches over my head while I'm trying to swing, right? And so I'm thinking if I hit this, if I hit this pole, I'm going to, one, I'm going to break my club and it could, you know, harpoon him and end his career. So I'm like, that's another level, but it was, uh, it was really fun. So how was your shot? I was good. I'm pretty good at it. Well done. So this was a conversation about sports at the highest level but we can bridge it to the world of investing and decision-making. Here are three questions Mo suggested that might port over to you. Do I have a set locker room where I will get mentally prepared for the adversity I face today? Do I know what my keys are that give me a chance of turning my desired results into controllable actions? Do I visualize how I want my board meeting or investment meeting or management meeting to go? There's much more in June 2020's CIO Diary. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.